0: Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin feels like there has been so much tennis that's gone on since we last recorded one of these, uh, given our development of the Mini Break podcast. A lot of those day-by-day ATP WTA updates have been coming on that podcast uh, for the GSPs. We did a lot of college tennis talk through May, so it's been a while since we've gotten to talk a little ATP and WTA uh, on this podcast, but it feels like now that the French Open is done, we have a week of grass tennis under our belts, but we can set that aside and not take too many uh, things off of that and say it is about the halfway point of the season. We have seen uh, so many players through this year rise and fall, obviously a ton of fascinating things to talk about. What we're going to be doing on today's podcast, we're going to talk strictly American tennis. We're going to break down the top 10 stories in 2019, the things that have caught our attention. And the reason I keep using a plural tone is because, of course, when I do a State of the Union podcast about American tennis, I have to bring in a former On The Rise blogger you know his work from com, from his work at Tennis Panorama. Of course, he is a noted tennis Twitter personality, and if I am the scribe, he, of course, is my master. Jonathan Kelly, hey, great shot, and welcome back to the program.
1: Uh, you forgot tennis fluencer.
0: <laughs> that's true. Uh, he is a tennis fluencer. Well, that's why you're on the podcast, right? Because you've <laughs> fluenced me so much that now I have to have you?
1: I know, I just, like, I trademarked that name I needed to be used in my introduction, so if you want to start from the top here, and three, two, one.
0: Yeah, Westoff, give me a quick, no, give me a quick rewind sound effect, please. (laughs) Noted tennis fluencer, Jonathan Kelly, hey, great shot, and welcome back to the program.
1: Hey, good to be here.
0: <laughs> well, Jonathan, I mean, we obviously have so many things to talk about uh, in terms of the American season, and if you've missed anything from the tennis world, I'll get the plug out of the way now. Go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. Uh, obviously, if you want to see things from January, you can go scroll back, check those articles. We're going to try our best today to talk about, you know, the biggest things, the biggest takeaways for those who've missed any of the action. But the question I want to start with, even before we get into specific specific storylines just in general you know to quote president ford is it the state of the union is not good or you know how are we feeling in general about american tennis uh at this point in june
1: uh well you know it's a mixed bag mixed bag um the uh there's definitely a divide gender wise more than it has been in the last uh couple of years i have to say it's uh it's been a little bit of a disappointing year for american men with a couple of exceptions and uh kind of an exciting year, particularly for some young American women, um, although no Grand Slam finals, uh, which has been a rarity uh, for American women. But uh, yeah, I'd say it's clearly a mixed bag. What do you think?
0: For our listeners who don't get the uh, privilege, I suppose, of seeing our text exchanges uh, so that they know, uh, you know, I feel like you this year have had a love-hate relationship with American tennis. You've gone on a few hiatuses, and I feel like that kind of actually is the storyline of American tennis. You see these breakthroughs at certain events, you know, you have Riley Opelka winning the New York Open, you have Amanda Anisimova winning titles, round of 16 Australian Open, uh, semifinals at the French Open. And then there's a lot of blah, right? There's a lot of, I mean, there's other results. You you know, we'll get into uh, other title winners during this year who have caught our attention. But just, yeah, there's no, uh, maybe this is a testament to the fact that Serena, uh, you know, clearly still coming back, trying to find her best form that Isner's been out since Miami with a foot injury. But just uh, American tennis, again, especially on the men's side, just no dominant performances, I suppose, thus far in 2019.
1: And nothing, with again, there are two. I'm going to say there's two exceptions this year. Nothing that really gets you, kind of gets your motor running, as they say. Like, oh, something's something's about to happen. Like you don't you don't quite get that sense. A couple of times you thought, oh, maybe something will happen, and then the player who you're starting to get excited about gets thumped uh, by by one of the the real stars of the game. So, um, yeah, you know, if you'd asked me a couple years ago if I thought by this point uh, we would, we would be where we are. I'd, I'd say, no, I think we'd be a little bit higher, but, uh, that's not to say there's not a, some hope in the future for American men's tennis. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but I've also decided to become a a Moldovan tennis fan. And that's a much, (laughs) much better lifestyle. I have to say.
0: (laughs) I like it. I think the textbook example of someone you could use, uh, Francis Tiafo makes the quarterfinal at the Australian Open, then, you know, loses first round to Jung at the New York Open, De- is defending a title, but loses first round in Delray Beach to Dan Evans. Uh, you look at his result at Acapulco, loses second round to Mackie McDonald. Yeah, you would have loved to see him follow that quarterfinal breakthrough with maybe, you know, two quarterfinals in that run up to his Masters stretch. But then, of course, you go to the Masters and, right, you know, he a disappointing first round loss at Indian Wells, but quarterfinals. Final in Miami. Yeah, it's topsy turvy on the American men's side. And just because we've opened that Pandora's box, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this year because it is a very interesting year in terms of transitioning on the men's side and just kind of trying to do some framework of what sort of seasons this might be similar to in the past now. For our listeners who aren't aware, although I don't know how you couldn't be at this point, I'm only 23 years old. You know, I act like it, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> you know, some of these transition periods, I, I don't really remember anything about pre-21st century tennis to me. My first memory is, oh, who's that guy with the ponytail who just beat Sampras? He, he looks pretty good. Um, and obviously that guy ended up being Roger Federer. And so – Oh,
1: I was like – Marcelo rios patrick raptor there's a bunch of
0: them yeah that's that's true that's that speaks to the pre uh, you know the 2000 style <laughs> fashion and i'll save that for a max rothman comment because i feel like he still tries to emulate that sometimes but maybe your
1: police i don't know if you ever beat beat pete but yeah there was a lot of yeah. ponytails in that time
0: oh what a what a time it was what? um but that being said i've tried to kind of con- you compare frameworks of what this season is, and you know we did a State of the Union pod at the end of last season, kind of looking at uh, where all of these players were ranking wise. And you look at uh, that list now. Uh, you, I mean, yeah, I guess. Um, I, I'm, again, I'm I'm struggling here to try and put this in perspective. But for me, the the two categories I divided it into, the the two stretches I tried to relate this to, was you know the. From 2013 to 2015, when you had, you know, Dennis Kudla, Jack Sock, Steve Johnson and Bradley Klon still on the younger side transitioning from college, obviously Ryan Harrison and Donald Young, those were guys we were uh, aware of. By 2013, but they were still, you know, 24 years old. I think Young was at the oldest. And at the end of the the 13 season, I believe, they were ranked uh, 96 for Young, 97 for Klon, Harrison 100, Sock 102, Kudla 114. And I feel like that was pretty similar to what we saw from the American men coming into this season. And I, I just... I don't think those guys that that group of people are going to have the sort of success we've seen from this young group of Americans, which I guess on the men's side, the story is that you know two, three, and four right now for the American men, tiafo fritz opelka that yeah. is something
1: well, it's something, but it's not everything because they're still not you know Tiafo barely got seated at the at the French Open, and that was only because of a couple of withdrawals, so you know if you're fourth place player is outside the top fifty. Then that's still not that much to write home about, even if they are on the younger side. So, um, again, kind of mixed bag. Uh but you you know, I think that's a really interesting comparison to make. I don't think there's any doubt that the ceiling for the young the young players right now is significantly higher, significantly higher than those ninety two guys, um, the Harrison, Kudla, um who am I forgetting?
0: Uh, young. And uh, sock well, sock had a pretty clon- high. Oh, sock of course.
1: Sock had a high ceiling, but in uh, his his story is by no means not uh, done. I don't think we'll see. But um, uh, on average, I would say you, you've got to say that the the by number of tournaments, one number of finals reached, um, that we're ahead of the game for that crew. And then you have to go back and look at you know the Roddick, Ginepri, uh, Taylor Dent you know crew to see how are we measuring up to them and i think that except for we don't have an andy roddick you know um not yet at least and i know that tennis development is later than it used to be so we could still get someone who reaches a couple of finals but um roddick was you know clearly one of the top three of his peer group um for a good stretch of his career and i don't think you can say that at this point about any of the uh Any of the Americans are their top three in their peer group.
0: Well, I'm so happy you brought up that group. So we talked about the Kudla sock uh, or the Kudla sock transition. The other group I looked at, I wanted to see that 2008 to 2010 range when you had the Isners, the Queries, uh, a very young Donald Young, and a very young Ryan Harrison breaking through. You also had in that group Wayne Odesnik, whose history we don't have to go over now. But uh, yeah, you look at the way those guys transitioned. At the end of 2007, uh, you had Query in the top 100, Donald young at 100 uh Isner at 106 Wayne at 126 and then you know 2 years later uh that group kind of really teetered off and it was just Query and Isner who had made their uh of uh, you know their Solidified themselves, I suppose, in that top fifty range for Harrison, Donald Young. Their struggles, you know, well documented at this point, and that brought me to that oh three, oh four, oh five group. And you look at the end of two thousand three, where that group was positioned. Obviously, you mentioned the Roddick corollary, but you had Marty Fish, who was twenty two at the time. He was twenty in the world. Ginepri, thirty two in the world. Taylor Dent, thirty three. James Blake, thirty seven. Uh, Brian Vahale, obviously a Virginia guy. So Woo-hoo. who's no- yeah, exactly. Number seventy-five, and then you had Kendrick Morrison. All these, uh, all these guys hovering right outside in that top two hundred range. A bunch of college people. And that really reminds me of where we're at right now in terms of this American group because you look through it. Tiafo this year started the year ranked 39. At this point, he's 36. Fritz, 49. He's 42. Opelka jumps from 99 to 61. I think those are the three guys who have really separated themselves at this point, and there have been health issues, and I know we'll talk about that in a little bit. But then the rest of the group, it's very similar. There's a lot of depth in the uh, Mackey McDonald's and the Dennis Kudlis. Steve Johnson's fallen off a little bit, the Klon, Sangren, Harrison, Fratangelo kind of grouping. That's very reminiscent to me in 2003 of the, you know, the uh, Vincent Spadia's, the Gambles, the uh, Gimmelstabs, Goldstein's, how that group was kind of hovering in that range as well. So I think in terms of, and this is, I, I don't know. I guess the point of this comparison I'm trying to say is despite the early ups and downs, I really do think this American group is well-positioned for the next three years. They are. Um,
1: and, you know, we could do worse. I wrote a I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago after uh, uh, Marty retired about just sort of looking back at what I call the silver generation of American tennis that sort of came after the golden generation um, and whose shadow they lived under, and you know, it's it's uh, it's really impossible to, com- for not impossible, but it's 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 tough for people to really appreciate quite how remarkable the the Chang Agassi Sampras generation really was at the time, and also what it means to try to live up to that, because um, other than maybe the current Spanish generation, um, of which only one player has won a major. Uh, I'm talking about the Nadal, Verdasco, you know, Lopez. There, we have not seen a generation in which four different players won majors, and three of them won, you know, multiple, several, several majors, and that's from one country in a, in a small age group. That just doesn't happen anymore, and it probably won't happen um, for like three or four players you know, most likely is not going to happen again in, anytime soon. So, uh, you know, trying to measure up to that, you know, you want American tennis to be the best in the world, I, ideally, because we have such a large population, we have the weather, we have the money, you know, we, we have, you know, athletes, we have all of these things, you want American tennis to be the best in American women's tennis, probably is, you know, the best in the world, it's hard to say that they're not even if they have only won a couple of majors in the last couple of years. But, um, you know, to say that, you know, your goal is the generation of, of Roddick, you know, that only won one major in their entire career is it's a little dis you know, it's a little dispiriting, especially because we do have a, a solid group. But one thing that we've seen and one one thing on my list of stories that we'll talk about is uh, how how quickly they seem to get passed by other younger better players <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I look, if this was just a next-gen-focused pod, and I think Max Rothman and I are going to do that later in the week, so, you know, listeners, stay tuned for that. You know, in perspective of, you know, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Kachanov, Medvedev, FAA, Shapovalov, Dimenauer, yeah, there's going to be a ton of other young, talented players for these American men to compete with, but that we've seen Riley Opelka win, although a soft draw, but still his first ATP title, and just really jump the way he has, display the sort of weaponry he, I mean, the serve is there now, Uh, you know, he's going to get to tiebreakers in one of the sets in every match he plays. Yes, he's 12 and 11 on the year, but this is really his first season playing full-time ATP events, and we saw, you know, he wins a couple of rounds in Miami, Uh, he wins a round in Delray, obviously beats Isner at the New York Open and of course beast beats isner at the australian open as well um i just i love the jump he's made obviously fritz has continued to succeed tiafo with the big breakthroughs in miami and the australian open Again, there may not be erotic, but if we have multiple fishes and James Blakes, I and I think there's a couple of guys. You know, Tommy Paul went healthy. We saw the way he dominated at the Challenger level, uh, pushed Dominic team to four sets in his first round at the French Open. We've seen what he can do at the ATP Tour level. Michael Moe, I believe, made a quarter has made a couple quarterfinals at the ATP Tour level. He's been struggling with health issues uh, all season long. I just think so many of these guys, you know, I didn't mention Mackie, who's going to be out for the remainder of the season, but he's displayed a high level. I didn't mention Jared Donaldson. He's been top 50 before. There are enough guys who are going to get a shot, you know, take a bite at the apple that I think... We're going to be seeing American male tennis players, maybe not, you know, the next three years, but the next seven years, we're going to be seeing a bunch of them in the second weeks of Grand Slams. And to me, that's a major jump. And I feel just more confident in saying that from what I've seen thus far in 2019. Okay. Fair? Fair. All right, I'll take it. No no pushback from you. And of course, that wasn't even one of our storylines. That just shows it is a full State of the Union breakdown. As I mentioned, Jonathan and I are going to be talking about the biggest narratives. We're going to keep it pro-tennis focused. We're not going to talk about, you know, Ohio State losing in the eight NCAA quarterfinals. I'm happy to, but we can save that for another one. Going to try and keep this pro-centric. and. You know, we'll kick it off with you, Jonathan. What is the uh, one of the biggest stories from the American tennis season in 2019 that you want to start out with?
1: Um, I'm going to start with uh, Kenan, Sonia Kenan beating Serena Williams at uh, the French Open.
0: I love it. And is this, I guess in terms of singular match, are you saying just that match in itself, you think a top 10 storyline?
1: Um, I kind of do. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, there's other storylines regarding Sonia, you know, in particular her getting a title this early in her career, um, getting that Davis or that fed cup win. I'm so sorry. And, um, uh, getting a doubles title and just establishing herself as somebody with a signature shot who can like, who's versatile, who's tough. You know, I think her rise to prominence is one of the best storylines of the, of the season, but I think that win in particular would be in my headline. It's not necessarily the number one story, but the reason I put it so high, and, you know, again, I don't begrudge any of Serena's losses. I know that um, tough losses are going to happen at this stage in her life and in her career, and that's fine. But just a little bit in terms of the changing of the guard, this is only Serena's second loss at a major to an American who's not her sister, since Wimbledon, two thousand
0: five, do you know that who is that was? Insane. I'm going to guess not Capriati. Jill Cravas. Jill. <laughs> I would not have guessed that. Unbelievable.
1: Only diehard Serena fans would remember that, and ninety percent of them have blocked that out of their heads. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Jill Krabus beat her in the in the third round of Wimbledon in two thousand five. She's lost a few matches to Venus over that time in majors. She lost to to Sloan. Did I mention the Sloan, obviously the Sloan quarterfinal in twenty thirteen was the only other one? And then she's only lost once to Christina McHale at Rome and once to Madison Brangle in twenty seventeen in Auckland. And those are the only other losses she's had two Americans other than her sisters since 2005. So the fact that Sonia in this sort of uh, high pressure environment against somebody who had been looking really, really good um, was able to come out and win in straight sets over uh, the or one of the top two or three best players in the history of of tennis of the WTA is uh, I just think it's a really, really
0: big story. And for our listeners who are thinking, "Who is Sonia Kennan, obviously Sonia, her nickname Sophia Kennan, as she 's listed in the rankings, just the disclaimer for us non nerds Jonathan, um, but this idea of you know this win being so significant, I remember a certain state of the Union podcast where I had uh, Sophia Kennan and uh, obviously Danielle Collins ranked particularly high on my, yeah. on my thoughts on them after two thousand and eighteen and not that, you know, I do enough brag, or I suppose no one would call me humble anyways. But Never. I, yeah, exactly. But I feel better and better about those selections as I look at this season and how it's played out. Yeah, Kennan has been just simply fabulous in 2019. She's obviously risen to number 30 in the rankings. Uh, she's going to be seated at Wimbledon. She she did, as you mentioned, win her first title uh, this season. I mean, she's 20-12 and 12 on the year. You look at the things she's done obviously you mentioned the fed cup wins but you look uh just i mean the success she had to make uh to beat serena at a grand slam that sort of moment early in your career those are the sort of sort of things you build off of those are the moments that you know mentally and it's not a quantifiable thing but when you have that sort of experience just the amount of confidence it it allows you to play with moving forward because you just beat serena freaking williams i mean yeah, Kennan has been uh, spectacular, and we spent, what, 10 minutes ranting about the men. The least we can do is mention there are so many gifted, young, talented Americans. And I'm going to include Ma- Madison Keys in terms of that young uh uh, quality because she's only 24 freaking years old but yeah you look at it keys anisa mova Kennan, obviously bellis win healthy and it, we would have loved to see more of her this year but jennifer brady 24 bernarda para 24 taylor townsend still 23 and then obviously uh the gems coming up through the rankings and whitney Osegwe who recently came on of the crack uh, oh sigway apologies who recently came on the cracked interviews podcast go give that a listen if you want to hear more about the former junior french open former world junior number one uh talent and just more about her but then you know the the other group you've got Coco Goff you've got Claire Liu Katie McNally and Lee so many young talented Americans you talked I think you said earlier that American tennis you know maybe American women's tennis may be the best uh country uh, in in the world I just don't know how you can argue that with the amount of talent we have uh, waiting in the bench Yeah the only other country you know
1: Notwithstanding Osaka being number one, or um, the amount of talent that uh, obviously Ashley Barty, um, but as a group, the only other one would probably be the Czech Republic, and you know, given their size compared to ours, then you can sort of make that argument that they're sure. uh, pound for pound um, as good or better as the United States. But uh, yeah, we just have um, we're we're significantly better than Russia, which was uh, that was not the case a decade ago um, outside of, outside of a couple of, of Serena and William and Venus. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think that don't quote me on this, but I think that if players get healthy and, um, uh, they maintain their level, I don't see, I think it's really feasible for there to be 20 American women in the top 100 at some point in the next
0: three years. I think that is an excellent bet, and I was just doing some counting as I'm looking at this tab in front of me. Currently, there are 27 Americans in the top 200 of the WTA singles rankings. Now, you expand that a little bit, and you look at the people in that 200 to 300 range, more young talents. Louisa uh, Chirico, who we saw break the top, what was it, 65, 75 earlier yeah. in her career. Jamie Loeb sitting at 252. Caroline Dalahide, she's still 20 years old, 269. Uh, we uh, Arcanada, 287. Seven two eighty eight. I mean, Coco k- Golf two ninety nine. Excuse me. There again,
1: Haley uh, Baptiste.
0: Yeah, who uh, she won a, a, a what a fifteen k this weekend twenty five k, and she beat someone young in the final as well, if I remember correctly.
1: Victoria Duval, who's another great great talent, who was top hundred before her cancer diagnosis, and uh, has every I think weapon that she needs, if she's able to stay healthy to make another run at the top
0: 150 200. Yeah. And then Plus, we also
1: have players like Coco. Vanguay, I was going to say is,
0: Shelby Rogers,
1: Shelby. Yeah. She's on her way back. She had a big win today on grass. So, um, there's a lot of, if everybody, and that's never going to happen, but if everybody's healthy and, um, or at least 90% of these players are healthy, then, I mean, and, I say 20. That's a that's a large number. And I know at at one point that was not going to be a a shocking number. But in this day and age for one country to potentially have um, 20 players, Nicole Gibbs is another player who has been in the Mm -hmm. top 100 who could get back to the top 100 when she gets healthy. Um, Yeah, I think it would be really feasible. And if that does happen, then I'll come back on this podcast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right, I'm I just wrote a note of that just so you know. Now you're and now you're That's 20 locked without
1: in. and that's 20 without um uh Serena and Venus if they happen to retire in 3 years, which may or may not happen, we don't know.
0: If we're still doing this podcast in 3 years, it will mean I'm able to <laughs> it will mean I'm able to pay you and I feel like you'll be like, "Okay, then I'm definitely coming on." Uh, uh so yeah, so we'll deal with that problem when we get there. Yeah. It's an incredibly talented group and you know, I mentioned you you being the tennis influencer that you are. One of my favorite uh, segments of tweets you send out in a thread is the American men and women's match win count and title count at this point in the year compared to uh, previous years. For perspective, let's start with the women's and then do the men. How are we looking in 2019 compared to, you know, the previous seasons?
1: Uh, you said start with women? Yes, please. All right, so through the Quay uh, season – uh, American women have 143 match wins on the year. So that does not include Fed Cup wins and it does not include walkovers in that, but gallery. it
0: does include Laver Cup
1: <laughs> <laughs> all, all of the women's wins in labor Cup are included in that tally, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, no exhibitions or anything like that but and uh, that it doesn't include Hotman Cup, but it does include the majors and all of the WTA tournaments. It also doesn't include the 125 Ks, which are to me basically like high challengers. So um, that's a good number. Uh, we, one would have expected it to maybe be a little bit higher uh, given how well we've done in the last couple of years. So in comparison in 2018 uh, American women F by the end of the clay co- the clay court season had uh, 129, which was so we're better than we were last year. But 2017, um, let me just get this number, American women had 147. So we're a little bit off of our high. Uh, 2017 was the high point um, for well over a decade before that. And um, oh, I'm sorry, 2016, we had 163. So 2016 oh. was when Venus was playing great. Serena was playing a full schedule uh, uh uh, Sloane started the year with a huge number of wins before she got hurt. Coco was playing great. Madison Keys was playing great. Uh, yeah, 163 in 2016. So we've leveled off since then, but we'll we'll probably be better next year than we are this year by this point.
0: So two two questions off of that. I guess part one, and this is gets to one of my biggest storylines how much does injury in your opinion play a role in that number going down and part two of that question uh, as and just for the women in particular uh for for these questions uh how much does the Serena Venus drop-off effect from 2016, in your opinion, affect that number? And the reason I ask is because, for me, that we've seen, Kennans, Anissa Mova, all of these young players we just talked about, Allison Risk, who won, wins a title this week, obviously, which we can talk about in a second if you want. But how much does them dropping off, in in your opinion, affect those win totals?
1: Um. Well, it's big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say that... Um, you know, it's probably a bigger deal. Yeah, I think Serena. You know, the thing is, Serena never play hasn't played like a full schedule. You know, week in and week out for for years. So, um, a lot of her win totals were would be coming at the majors, um, or like Indian Wells or not Indian Wells for a long time, but Miami that sort of thing. So, um, she wasn't necessarily you know, providing a huge gap, but like a Coco Vandewa, um, could be counted on for, you know, a good dozen wins at this point of the year. Um, and that's off the table. Um, and then, you know, players like uh, Irina Falcone, um, Avanya King, a, uh, um, who am I forgetting? Like uh, Lauren Davis, who's had to work her way back. You know, those players were getting like, 10 wins as well. So those are the sort of mid-level players whose totals add up because they're getting wins at, at Monterey or at um, um, early rounds of Charleston that, you know, if they're not in the draws or if they're, they're losing early, then they're not being replaced by, even though we have, you know, three, four players in the top 40. So um, you know, I haven't done a thorough statistical analysis, but I think that it's less an issue of Venus and Serena per se, and um, more an issue of not getting quite the production. And I, a lot of that, and, you know, a C. C. Belles, and a lot of that is because of of injury. Um, that you know, I think those couple of years were relatively healthy for American women compared to what we've seen in the last couple of years. And I I can't really explain that entirely.
0: No, no, I thought you did a very good job there. You said 162 in 2016 for wins. Yeah. I will make a similar bet with you, double or nothing, that you have to come back on the pod, that American women will beat that record by 2022.
1: Ooh, by 2022? Okay, yeah. No, I – well, I don't want to bet against that because I, I think that's very possible.
0: <laughs> um, so it's good. So you'll have to come on the pod.
1: Yeah, and, you know, again, if we have – right now we only have 13 players in the top 100, and those are the players who are playing week in and week out on the WTA level, you know, Mm -hmm. um, by, if we do have, like, I think we'll have 17 or 18 players by 2022 in the top hundred. And those players are just going to be, you know, even if they play each other, somebody's going to get a win, um, you know, in a couple of tournaments. So uh, yeah, I think it's really feasible for us to get higher than that. You know, there's a maximum, the number of wins that you can get, you know, you can't get 300 wins because there's only so many matches and so many players and so, so many draws, but um, the other thing I want to say is the other thing that I like to measure is the number of finals and titles, um, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, Americans are doing. And 2016 was just a huge year for players getting to international level finals. Um, mm-hmm. and one that we haven't seen in decade, in a decade before that, but that year, uh, Sloan won Auckland, um, Risk got to the final in Shenzhen, which she does pretty much every year. Venus won Kyosung, which was a international tournament. Shelby Rogers got to the final of Rio. Sloan then won Acapulco. Um, Sloan won Charleston, which is a low-level premier. Irina Falcone won Bogota, her only title. Um, And then Sloan, um, Serena and and, uh, Venus, sorry, Serena and Madison, uh, Played each other in the final of Rome. Serena got to the final of Roland Garros and Australian Open. So those were the runs, especially those like Bogota, Acapulco, Kyo um, Auckland, that uh, really were the bulk of, of the wins and really uh, made the difference. This year we've had a few. Um, you know, Kennan's run, Anisimova's run in Bogota, and uh, a couple others, but we haven't had quite an as many and certainly not as at the big tournaments like we did back then.
0: madison keys south carolina that was another one right um yep. i'm trying to think de- how i feel like the america didn't did sloan make a final at one of these clay masters she did right or premier sloan
1: has not made a final this year which is one of sloan my top nine. 10 uh top 10 storylines
0: all right let, let, let's get into that one right now and then we can save the men for a little bit um i agree i i that sloan stevens has not made a final this season. I feel like particularly because right now she is the top-ranked American. She is, I believe, number nine in the WTA singles rankings, two spots ahead of Serena, eight spots ahead of Madison Keys. Uh, That she hasn't won, uh, I guess, a title is concerning. But I do like the fact, you know, you look at what she's done this year, uh, makes that quarterfinal um, at the French Open. I I don't think she's had a bad year, per se.
1: Not terrible. Um, She is doing fine in the race she uh hasn't had um she hasn't had a huge run but she's been pretty solid and uh she's had some good wins and some exciting wins and wins that kind of you know it's one of those things that we were talking about before like wins it sort of get your motor running and then she'll have uh, a loss that you know like the one to at the Australian Open that you know Pavs just kind of turned on the Jets and and uh and Sloan was kinda like got caught looking. Um, and Acapulco
0: then... as well, Haddad Maya three and three in that second round to follow that up. <laughs> not not the best.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um so you know, it's it's kinda tough to say for me that she is playing at a top ten level right now in twenty nineteen, and you could definitely say that almost throughout twenty eighteen that she was a legitimate top ten, top five player. Now she's sort of like she's got those points that from uh from Montreal. She's got those points from the year end championships, WTA finals that are gonna be there for a little while. She doesn't have anything coming off at Wimbledon. You know, she'll probably stay in the top ten for at least a few more months, but unless something significant turns around and she kind of gets that fire again. And you know, she had that coaching change which um I think Kamal Murray is a fantastic coach, and I think was in a was a fantastic fit for her. And I don't know. And she won basically every title that she won. She won with Kamal Murray, um, and almost every final that she reached, she reached with Kamal Murray. So, uh, getting, getting, uh, finding that right person for her, I think, is maybe a bigger issue for her than for some other players. Um, you know, someone who can sort of be like a a Sloane whisperer.
0: <laughs> I like that. Hopefully that's the title of this podcast, the Sloan Whisperer. But I guess my pushback to you would be, you look at the big events, round of 16 at the Australian Open to lose in three sets not a horrible result, right? And then you know, Indian Wells, not her best. Miami, not her best. But then she comes back. Quarterfinals loses in three to Keys uh, in Charleston. Wins her Fed Cup matches. Semifinals Madrid. Uh, obviously the the loss in Rome to Conta, not great in the moment. But then when you realize Conta makes the semifinals of or sorry the semi. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. that was. That was right, the semifinals of the French Open, not that bad in retrospect. And then, of course, she makes the quarterfinals losing to Kanta again uh, in Roland Garros. I mean, yeah, she's got a ton of points to defend in the second half of the season. But one match that really stuck out to me was her uh, round of 16 match where she knocked off Mukarusa 4-3. and three. I thought that was the highest level I'd seen from Sloan in 2019, and it it was kind of reassuring. I just i there there was as hard as Muguruza hit, she could not get a ball by Sloan, and that yeah. to me is all when you know when Sloane's feeling confident, moving well, changing direction with her shots, that's when we see her best tennis.
1: Yeah, she it was it was a lovely match to watch, and it did give you a little peace of mind. Um, but also, you know, Garbini did not play her best tennis in that match either. So you have to take a little bit like within perspective, I think that Binet Garbinier is, um, you know, obviously a very talented player, but some of her errors that I, that I saw in that were, um, were, were not becoming of a Roland Garros champion. Um, and someone who was like looking to win the title. So she got a good win there, but she didn't get a win over a prospect. I don't, Garbigny looked good earlier in the in the tournament but you know um based on her level that I saw in that match I didn't see her as a real um threat if she had had that win over somebody like a Barty which wasn't going to happen or um you know a, a Conta or uh a, a even a Vandrusova you know someone who who uh could change her game to fit the moment and realize when what wasn't working you know maybe change things up a little bit, then I would have maybe felt a little bit better. But, you know, if you've looked at Garbigny Muguruza's year, it's been pretty spotty. So I, it's hard for me to count that as like a top, top tier win. Um, and I just don't think she's had one of those this year. And um, that does become a little concerning, you know, as we move on to, you know, Bass, which I don't know that she's even playing on until Wimbledon. Um, and then a few tournaments, uh on hard courts and then uh her the Asians swing that she really struggles at. I don't it'll be very interesting to see where she finishes this year. I hope it's in the top ten. At this point I'd be surprised if it was in the top ten.
0: We talked about or uh, you know, the whole theme is storylines and we talked earlier about Kennan and Anisimova, and that was one of my biggest storylines, is obviously the level we've seen from both of them. And I guess what how I'm gonna loop this back to Sloan is I would say objectively both Anisimova and uh, Sonia Kennan have had better seasons than Sloane Stephens, despite you know Stephens still being slightly higher than her in the rankings. And I guess to me, that's why I'm so encouraged in general by American uh, women's tennis is because you know you throw Keys in the mix as well, who won, as I mentioned, that title in Charleston and makes the quarterfinals at the French Open. Did she make round of 16 at the Australian Open? Who's that? For yeah. Madison Keys? Uh, it's quarters, right? Yeah, uh, quarters, that's what it was. Yeah, you're right. And so I just think the four of them being where they already are, you know, I think that for years it was, okay, what comes after Venus and Serena? And I, again, as I mentioned earlier with my nerves being placated from the men, if anything, my nerves have just been eradicated. They're gone. We are, (laughs) I just think American women's tennis is in such a strong position. Yeah. Sloan, two years older than Madison keys, the leader of the pack in terms of what she's done at the grand slams versus everyone else. But I'm just – I'm so, I guess, thrilled by the state of the American women's tennis uh, just in general that I can get over not the best season from Sloan, I guess.
1: Yeah, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is how much parity there is on the WTA. Mm-hmm. It's, it is, in all of sports, one of the most unpredictable leagues out there, one of the most unpredictable tours out there. I mean you just can't say – on a given week who's going to win any tournament and anybody's in the top 70 feels like they're capable of pulling an upset over almost anybody else in the top 70. And it's not a a stunner anymore. It just isn't. And other than Osaka winning back-to-back majors, um, there was a stretch of how many different major winners in a row and not to mention like major finalists, like you can't even, there's never there's never been a time like this before in women's tennis. Um there've been some levels of parity before but nothing resembling this just this depth. Um and some will call it like weakness at the top and there's an argument to be made at that and we don't have anything right now approaching what Nadal can do on uh uh at at, at the French Open or what Djokovic has done at the three majors prior to that. There's there's not somebody who's going to give you that every single week, but um, lots and lots and lots of talent there. So, um, just having seven or eight, you know, women in the mix at any given time. Look at—I uh, know we're not talking about grass really, but look at Allison Risk this week. She looked like one of the best players in the world, winning, mm-hmm. winning—you know—her tenth match in a row on grass. Jennifer Brady, who has had kind of a quiet year. Getting to a semifinal and and being a setup and almost a set and a breakup on on the eventual eventual titleist, Caroline Garcia, like there's just parity, like you wouldn't believe. And uh, uh, you know the more more Americans that you can get in the mix there, any one of them can be a titleist, and any one of them can make a run at a major. I, and I really believe that.
0: Completely agree with you. It's not the
1: case on the men's side. It's just not.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think that's really been uh, the theme of this, of you know, this conversation about American women is that we are so excited about them. We didn't even mention Danielle Collins, who only 25 years old makes her first Grand Slam uh, semifinal of her career earlier this year in Australia. Played obviously just. Incredible tennis in the run up, uh, you know, through that entire run. Just seems like anytime she wanted she could smack a backhand winner at will. Yeah, the 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 state of American women's tennis is strong. Especially um I mean
1: <laughs> there are so many good backhands among American women right now, it's crazy.
0: I love it. And you know I'm a backhand snob. And so it's oh, literally are. everything I want.
1: That's one thing I know about you. <laughs>
0: yeah the next time i do your intro i will go sloan whisperer backhand snob jonathan <laughs> Ke- <laughs> You're the I,
1: I i i'm a forehand guy but uh, uh, uh i definitely see... so let me just Ever... say where we're at and uh, then we can move on to some of the men but um this is where we're at in the wta race as of nine o'clock p.m central daylight time on uh, whatever day this is uh <laughs> Number one in the race is Amanda Nisimova at number 13. Number two is Sloan Stevens at number 15. Number three is Danielle Collins at 18. Number four is Madison Keys at 19. Number five, Sophia Sonia Kennan at 22. Number six, Allison Risk at 29. Number seven, Serena Williams at 39. Number eight, Venus Williams at 47. Number nine, Jennifer Brady at 51. And number 10, kind of shockingly, is Lauren Davis at number 54. So um, nobody in the top 10 in the race. I think that's notable. There is there is a chance that we won't see any Americans um, at the year-end championships with WTA finals this year. Uh, we've got players above them who you would not have expected in like a Bianca Andreescu, Marketa Um, Obviously, number one it being Ash Barty is not something a lot of people – might have guessed at the beginning of the year, some people may have, but uh, um, yeah, uh, Anissa Mova is almost a thousand points behind eighth place, Simona Halep. So uh, unless something remarkable happens, we get a, a major champion um, in one of the next two majors, which of course is possible. We could be looking at a an excellent, but not you know, world shattering uh, year for American women
0: speaking of things people predicted at the beginning of the year I'm so glad you brought that up because in front of me I have our <laughs> predictions for oh the top 10 Americans at the end of the 2019 season now you went off of the race I'll go off of the current singles rankings uh we I ha- <laughs> I kind of kicked your ass in this didn't I oh God, uh, I'm sure. I, it's just, it's rare. You know, again, I'm usually the Squire, so I appreciate this moment to shine. Um, I had Sloan one, Williams two, Keys three. Got those three right. You had Keys, Williams, Sloan, so you got the Williams right. Then you had Kennan, Anisimova. Obviously, they're flipped, but well done by you. I had Bellis, Kennan, Anisimova, so take Bellis out. I'll take it. I uh, had Collins after Anisimova. That's where she is. You had Venus Williams. Uh neither of us had Allison Risk, who is um actually the current number seven American. I had uh Taylor Townsend. You had Oh uh, nope, I had yeah, I had Taylor Townsend, you oh nope, I had Daniel Collins, number seven, you had Sophia Cannon. Sorry, my list is upside down, yours is <laughs> proper. Um yeah, of course, you know, good job on me. I had Collins uh or nope. I had Townsend number eight. You had Claire Lou. You had Ooh. Townsend. And the current number eight is actually Venus Williams. I had Venus nine. You had Townsend nine. The actual nine right now, Jennifer Brady. And then I had Dollahy ten. You had Bellis ten. The actual Ooh. number ten right now, Jessica Pagula. So not. Not horrible. I mean, there are just some injuries we didn't account for. I guess I whiffed on Dalahide for now. You didn't whiff on Paris. She's number ninety-three. She's had a good season. Claire Lou still a little bit lower, but I would say if you take out Bellis, which not our fault, she's injured. Right. Not bad on the predictions thus far.
1: No, not too bad. But you can't go out. I, there's so many points coming off from some players. I think it's oh, might be a little bit more instructive to go off the race than the than the current
0: rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're not that
1: it. they're not that much different. So um yeah, I think you're doing a little bit better than I am and well congratulations for that. <laughs> but I still wouldn't if be you... surprised if, if Madison Keys finished the year higher than Sloan, even though Sloan's a little bit higher in the race. Um Uh, So uh,
0: I would say that the reason I did it it like I did is so we would both look a little bit better. I agree with you. The race in 2019, more indicative, but I was trying not to show either of us up. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But all right, with that, Jonathan Kelly, your next storyline.
1: Well, I want to say that my next storyline is uh, a little bit of a, a throwback. I just watched uh, the uh, Dark Phoenix uh, movie <laughs> last night and it confused the hell out of me because they're like characters that were supposed to be in like the past X-Men that, and then in the future X-Men, but then they they die in the one that took place in then I'm like, what is going on here? It was so bad. <laughs> um, and that's how I feel about American men, like where they're supposed to be in the rank. Given what was happening at a certain point in the past is not what's happening right now. And it confuses the hell out of me. So I wanted to read to you the top seven players in the American ATP rankings at the start of 2018. This is going to be a little bit stunning.
0: Okay, can I try and guess them? Let's make a little game out of this.
1: Um, you can guess them, but I think wh- not just their where they're at, but uh, the actual number of their rankings is what's astonishing.
0: But, so, yeah, go ahead and guess. Sorry, that's just to make a game. Isner number one still? He's got to be, what, he was nope. 12 at the end of Isner? He was, no. He was third at the beginning of Oh, you're right. Jack Sock was number one. Oh, my gosh,
1: because he won Paris. Isner was the third-ranked American at number
0: 17 at the start of last year. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's still top so he the most explainable um i'm trying to talk as little about john isner on this podcast as possible uh just because like what are we gonna say but right. so i'm gonna guess so sock was one correct oh. at like number eight number eight yep number two had to have been johnson sam query at number 13 San- oh because he had 2 semifinals.
1: Yeah. He had a or, or yeah had the semi
0: yeah, so he made Sam Query number two and what? So Jack Sock is now I don't even know if he's ranked.
1: He's outside the top one fifty.
0: Yeah, and Sam Query's like ninety-six or something.
1: Uh I don't have it in front of me, but he's pretty low.
0: Yeah, Sam Query right now, currently ranked number sixty nine. Oh, apologies. Yeah. So not yeah, not great, but not number so then number three Isner. <laughs> sixty nine is, ner- is nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh three Isner Four, Steve Johnson? Yeah, he was 44. And he's like 76 now or something crazy. Steve Johnson currently number 78. Um, Five, Harrison had a good year that year. Yeah, he was 47. He was 47. Harrison currently number 127. Six, well, Sandgren hadn't broken through yet. Uh, Six is where things get fuzzy. Maybe Donald Young? Uh, Nope, close.
1: It was uh, Jared Donaldson.
0: Jared Don Of course. Jared Donson, who had a great 2017.
1: It was number fifty-four.
0: Oh, and then is is was, Young seven?
1: Then Donald Young was number seven at sixty-one.
0: Currently number one ninety-eight. Yeah. So that is
1: th- this was last year, last calendar year, in which six of the top seven players are guys who are not now even like almost aren't even like worth talking about in a podcast and no offense to them. Wonderful, wonderful human beings. Great, great, deep inner, inner lives. But you know, their tennis has been subpar if if they've even played tennis um, in the last year. And so the fact that American tennis is even somewhat in okay shape, given where, where sock query, Johnson, Harrison, Donaldson, and young, not to mention who was uh number 12 it was uh, Ernesto Escobedo at 120 Tim Smitek yeah. was 130 um, Stefan Kozlov was 167 um and uh and coming
0: off of a Columbus Challenger title yeah.
1: so given how much some of these you know guys who are still not not over the hill they're not the in their last couple of years of their career, I don't know what's going on with Sam Querrey, but I assume he can still play for another few years. Um, you don't expect players who are basically in the prime of their careers or coming up on the prime of their careers to have that many stumble so dramatically in a in the period of a year and a half. Um, some of it is injury-related, but a lot of it is not injury-related. So the fact that America, American tennis still has you know 10 players in or around the top 100 is still has a couple of title lists this year not from that group still has um player a player reaching the quarterfinal of a major not in that group you know it speaks to uh the fact that we're still treading water despite you know kind of kind of remarkable like i don't think if you looked at any other country's top 7 players you would see that dramatic drop off unless their players were all like you know 90 you know <laughs> 90 years
0: old yeah exactly like the old spanish guys who are slowly dropping out of the rankings because they've stopped playing right yeah and i and i want you to give the win total number and the title count number like we did for the women but how uh, again starting with this question how much do you think injuries plays a factor in that because we've seen you know isner obviously more recently out with injuries although i would say you know obviously ranking proves it he's the one of that seven group that has managed to maintain his level if anything Uh, he may have even exceeded it since then. Uh, But the fact that, you know, Sock's been out with a wrist injury and then, you know, other guys, you look at the younger players, Tommy Paul, as we mentioned, in and out, Michael Moe, in and out, Mackie McDonald, Jared Donaldson. How much does the the, the role of injury, I suppose, play a factor in the fact that there has been so much turnover at the top of American men's tennis? Or I guess, is it more injury and circumstance? Or do you think there really is just that much parity from one to maybe the number 15 american
1: no i don't think it's parody i, I mean i think there's a sub, sub, sub significant drop off in level um either injury related or not injury related so sock harrison to an extent um donaldson all definitely all injury related sam query i think is also somewhat injury related um steve johnson i mean 44 wasn't an ideal and he, he's had you know other issues but um you know, he's got a lot of tough losses under his belt as well. Um, so I think, it, and then Donald Young, I, I can't really speak to what's been behind his, his decline. But um, yeah, I do think that in terms of where these people are in the rankings, um, injury, I think injury is a significant factor. Um, and obviously for Donaldson um, in particular, uh, it's the factor because <laughs> I, I think that, He was playing at a top 60 level then, and um, before he got injured, he was still playing at a top 60 level. So, um, yeah, I would say that. But if you want to do the win totals, I'll tell you where we're at. So, 2019, um, through Roland Garros,
0: we had 92 wins by American men. To compare, the women had, what, 147 or something crazy? 143. Yeah, okay. Just, again, keep that in perspective, listeners, but go on.
1: Um, so 2018, that number was, um, 124.
0: (sighs) Okay. First thing that just to attack that number off the bat, tennis and grin quarterfinal run, I suppose, offset by the Tiafo final run. Last year we had, uh, Isner winning Miami. He made the final this year. So I don't know how much of an offset that, or I guess those two things, you know, one win offsets itself, uh, I'm trying to think what other early breakthroughs. I guess Steve Johnson won the event in Houston. Uh, what happened early? Last I think season?
1: the two tournaments, and this is again, you know, one of those things where they're not. It's not that they're doing that much worse in the larger tournaments, although Roland Garros was an exception. It's that <laughs> last year they had 16 match wins at Delray Beach. This year uh, they had nine expensive. match wins at Delray Beach. Last year they had 18 match wins at Houston. This year they had four match with Houston. It's those smaller tournaments that they, for whatever reason, a confluence of circumstances, injury, people not playing the tournament for whatever reason. other um, other
0: breakthroughs, the, the slew of talented young people, you know, from Dusan Lajovic to FAA who have won titles.
1: Yeah, right, well, though they weren't playing those tournaments per se, but you would have somebody like a Braden Schnur get through when, sure, yeah. um, you know, last year it might have been uh, Neomir
0: uh, Kasmanovic, <laughs> those types of people.
1: Yeah, the, the, those players, it, it feels almost a little bit fluky, but uh, yeah, that's where the deficit of match wins is coming um, for this year, I think. And then you had Roland Garros, where last year there were um, seven wins this year. There was the one year, which is one of my big storylines, is that that one sad, sad ooh, match win at Roland Garros in, in 2019. Um, so just for, again, going back a couple more years, so 2017, the win total through Roland Garros was 116 wins. Um, 2016, the win total through Roland Garros was 98 wins. So we're not too far off from where we were in 2016. And then 2015, five, uh, four years ago, it was only 88 wins. So um, as kind of rough as things are, we're still a little bit better than we were in 2015. I think the average age of the player... Even though it's four years later, the average age of our player um, who's in a draw week in and week out is a little bit lower than it was because it, it's your Tiava, it's your Fritz, it's your Opelka, it, maybe your your um, um, uh, your your Tommy Paul or, or or Mo. Maybe not this year, but um, compared to uh, what it might have been if it was a Query uh, Young um a Harrison
0: a- Johnson Kudla yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess one of the questions I have off of that number you talk about, and we have throughout that, that we'll call them the middle generation, right? The people from uh, age 26, Dennis Kudla, to age 29, Steve Johnson, and just that, you know, sort of, we'll call them, I guess, the, the middle class of American tennis really seems, you know, people who are waiting for breakthroughs. How many texts have we exchanged this year of what's going on with Bjorn Fritangelo and um, it really seems like those guys have kind of steadied them out and we've seen what their ceiling can be on the ATP tour now the flip side of that you know your win count doesn't count challenger wins but obviously this year we see Mitchell Kruger who not exactly old at age 25 now now reaches his career high gets his uh, cha- first career challenger title in Dallas which had to have been extra sweet uh, another guy Marcos Giron, gets a challenger title under his belt also makes I believe it was what round of 16 at Indiana. Well, is the best result of his career. He's up to a career high in the top 175. I guess my question to you is, and you may have done this a couple of years ago, but is it fair to kind of write that generation off as, you know, we know what we're going to get out of them and to expect second weeks of grand slams out of that group, except for maybe Kudla on the grass might be a little bit too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I, you know, two guys in that generation who uh, have um, what would, you would consider having higher ceilings are, are Jack Sock, who's only made one fourth round in his career. And then Ryan Harrison, who is, you know, had this early reputation as being someone who got terrible draws at, at Grand Slams, but ultimately, you know, has just the has come on with a couple of ATP titles in um, in his mid 20s and. And has gotten a couple of bigger wins um, over bigger names, but you know who still hasn't uh, been able to keep himself within the top fifty. And a lot of that is physical, I think, Um, and some probably some some other things. But if you're listening, Ryan, you know, wish you the best uh, of health. Absolutely, because I, you know, he doesn't have he doesn't quite have all of the weapons. He's got one of I think. It was determined. I think it's been determined that you know one of his best weapons is 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 his speed and but because he relies so much on that um, and because he's been a little bit fragile with his his lower lower body, then um, it's going to make it tough for him to and because he plays so much on hard courts, uh, it's going to be hard for him to maybe ever have that you know career that we thought he was going to have when he was you know 16, 17, 18 years old.
0: Yeah, I, 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 first of all, I appreciate what you said about Jack Sock in terms of keeping in perspective. His story is far from written. We should also say for those two guys, Sock and Harrison, the success they've had as doubles players. Something I know you and I both appreciate, and you know, tennis isn't all about singles. That's obviously what gets the headlines, but those guys have scrapped out effective, you know, and substantial careers for themselves. So that's something to be mentioned. But I guess my my biggest takeaway and. Again, I, I with the corollary of Dennis Kudla on the grass, and we said we wouldn't talk about grass tennis, but he's a monster in his own right, right? That, that guy can do anything he wants on a grass court, uh, just the confidence he has. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's a, It's not even upsetting, but you look at, we talked about those 03 classes, that 07 class. There was always uh, someone a little bit older in that top uh, group for the young guys to look up to. And I guess for this generation of Americans, the Tiafo, Fritz Opel, because they still have Isner right up there. But it would have been nice if you had Jack Sock to sort of carry the load, uh, not carry the load, but carry the banner while those young guys get to 23, 24, reach their physical prime. So I guess just. Just in terms of that, uh, it's a little bit upsetting, but I guess that's that's the sort of emotion we as American tennis fans have been feeling for the past what decade?
1: Uh, two decades, yeah.
0: <sighs> no, I felt really good in two thousand five when it was you know Andy Roddick time.
1: Yeah, but he didn't win a he didn't win a major that year or the next year or the next year or the next year or the and that became a storyline and that's what American tennis fans had to be defensive about is like you know oh American man hasn't won a major since. You know, and that—that's boucher.
0: If someone gives you that argument, then you say, "Well, then you—you you must." If that's your go-to argument, it's like with, ugh, this brings me back when people argue Michael Jordan's the best because he's got six rings. End of story. That's to me the same line of arguing as saying all that matters is the Grand Slams. It's like, well, actually, tennis is the one sport in the year that doesn't have any breaks except for sort of December, and so like, no, that's actually not true at all.
1: Hey, I mean.
0: Not I've that you're a, arguing that. Sorry, wasted yeah. a
1: lot of a lot of tears and and blood. <laughs> and tweets and, and tweets. Oh my god, the tweets. And before <laughs> that, the bulletin boards. You know where I would like spend hours when I should have been working on like a defense <laughs> of American men's tennis. So yeah, believe me, I've. I've heard it all before My, and I've said it all before. Um, that counterpoint that,
0: to that, had you not been venting, I would have never read those vents and this relationship wouldn't be as fruitful as it is.
1: Very, very true. And, you know, you, <laughs> one thing you've got to say is that, um, you know, an American man hasn't reached a Grand Slam final since, um, you know. Erotic Wimbledon. Thank you. I didn't want to mention that. But, you know, <laughs> you can't say that that means that, oh, well, Japanese tennis is better than American tennis. Men's tennis because a Japanese man has reached a Grand Slam final in that period of time. Yeah, K has had a better career than most American, if not all current American players. But, you know, we've got a lot more players in the top 50 over that time than Japanese. So, yeah, it can't be the only metric that you use.
0: When Plus, we'll always, will, will always have Isner Miami 2018. For, right, that's what we for the ref yeah until one of these young guys wins a masters that's that's what we'll uh put the feather in our cap with but yeah, yeah
1: we're, we're, I, not to mention jack sock in paris come on
0: uh no we i thought we agreed we don't talk about paris masters anymore after the curses I we're just not it. trying to spread that sort of uh juju i guess i never agreed to that <laughs> I like it. Well, then, I mean, look, the storyline stuff has kind of gone to scrap because we've listed it all together, and we've touched on a bunch of them there. But I guess for the American men, any other storylines you're looking at? And well, then yeah. and then I have some non-American, not, uh, just kind of general picture that very much influences American tennis storylines for you.
1: Beautiful. Well, I just wanted to mention the finals. So um, this year, American men have reached three finals, uh, two in one of those finals, Opelka and Sandgren each getting 250 titles and then John Isner reaching the final in Miami. Last year, by this point, American men had reached seven finals, um, including Isner's Miami title and then a bunch of 250s. You had Tiafo and uh, Johnson winning titles in Delray and Houston, and then finals for Tiafo and Estoril, uh, Sandgren in Houston, Quarry in New York, and Ryan Harrison in Brisbane um that was the best year for a long time so uh 2017 there were five finalists americans went five and oh in those um we had a uh remarkable run at a at a 500 by sam query in acapulco and then 250 Mm -hmm. wins for johnson in houston sock and delray harrison in memphis and jack sock again in auckland um and then lastly 2016 there were also five finalists uh, by this point, um, and they were all at 250s. Socket, two of them uh, Sam Query at Delray. Uh, Taylor Fritz is only final to date at Memphis. And then um, a God Among Men, Rajiv Ram, reached the final in Delray in February of 2016.
0: I have mentioned this story before, but that Sam Query run at Acapulco, it was my spring break senior year of college. I went uh, with Max Rothman. We went to his grandparents' place skiing in Aspen. It was unbelievable. But the last day of the trip, I was just deadly sick with food poisoning. And so his grandparents had a fireplace and a TV above it. And on that TV, they had Tennis Channel. And forever, I will say, that is the day we came up with the Great Shot podcast because I remember just sitting there shivering and then being too warm and just being like, oh, God, I have to puke again and thinking, you know what I would really like to do, though, is talk about this match with someone and that is where uh the, <laughs> that, the whole thing sort of transpires I that that run no
1: idea that's amazing
0: yeah that run very near and dear to my heart you
1: yeah know, it's i think the tennis world owes a debt to sam query that we'll never have, ever <laughs> be able to repay <laughs>
0: well we've tried we, you know we've all lauded his dancing video the one where he pops out with the groom or whatever and there, all i feel like sam query has gotten a lot of love from the ten- tennis community but yes he deserves more um Yeah, you talked about the title count. I think, again, though, my biggest takeaway from American Tennis, something we've been stressing, yeah, it's not happening right now, but again, I feel, what does it's not happening even mean? What's not happening? I guess we're not seeing multiple uh, of these of these American guys making second weeks of majors. We're not seeing them make, you know, semifinals finals of 500 masters level or maybe 500, but not masters levels event, you know, week in week out. But there have been enough breakthroughs, enough glimpses from all of these young players. And then, you know, we'll get Isner back that in general, I am satisfied with the depth of American tennis. All right.
1: I'm, I'm a little dissatisfied. You know, I, I thought that the trajectory was going to continue upward at least for the next seven or eight years without a break. And, uh, you know, the fact that it hasn't, it's, it's a little bit rough and a lot of, you know, players, players who who are injured or still young and developing are part of that. And, and, and yeah, but part of it is just like, you, you think that something great is about to happen and then you, you, you get a, a whipping by, uh,
0: you know, a yeah, then, then you lose, yeah, a, you lose to Dan Evans in three sets when you're defending a Delray title. Oh, yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. or you
1: just get, you just get shown your place in, in the universe by, by a Dominic team or, uh, you know, a Born of Torch or something like that. And you're like, oh, okay.
0: Not quite. Yeah. It, Exactly. Then, yeah, exactly. Karen Kachanov wins yeah. the Paris Masters, and you're like, oh, everyone's doing that now? Yeah. I guess it's not that cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Well, then one other uh, storyline I want to talk about uh, on the men's side real quick, and then I promise big picture. I mean, we're, we're over the hour mark, but I think we're going to manage to stay under the two-hour mark. Nice. So not bad, Jonathan. Um, but in terms of one of these storylines, and you know I'm a college tennis slappy. I know you have a streak of college tennis fandom in you that you try and hide, Uh, but my... My question to you, looking at the rankings, and this is, you know, just from an American perspective, but both on the men's and the women's side, starting with the women, uh, obviously Danielle Collins at number 34 now, but Jennifer Brady, 66. And just uh, how many, uh, you know, we I, I'm so sick of going through all these names. So I feel like we've read them off so many times. But then, you know, on the men's side, obviously Steve Johnson, Mackie McDonald, uh, Klon, on and on and on. I feel like we can put to rest this idea that college tennis doesn't work because when you throw in the double success we're seeing, when you throw in their international players who have made the jump, you know, I, I think Torpegard coming off of another challenger title, uh, we've seen the level he's displayed. The uh,
1: Ohio post
0: yeah exactly as long as he's playing in Ohio I guess the level he's displayed Uh, but just in general I think college tennis has never looked stronger from a developmental standpoint and you know with the transition to or what it was for that hot second which we'll talk about in a second I think that added to the allure of college tennis for for a brief couple of months but still as a developmental pathway I don't think it's ever looked better
1: uh, maybe it looked better a little bit in the 70s when, you know, John Mac Doesn't oh. count. Doesn't <laughs> what do you count. mean? You said ever. You literally <laughs> said ever. What part of ever yeah, did, okay. you not, did you not mean?
0: Uh, <laughs> I meant pre, uh, post-black and white.
1: Okay, I was alive in the 70s, and I had a color TV. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I think that... I think that Daniel Collins' run was a really special moment for college tennis. Um... Because the the argument I had seen is that, okay, well, college tennis obviously can work for some players on the men's side, a uh,
0: James Blake, you know. Uh, or the body types, the Isners, the Andersons, the right. six, seven people who need to just develop, like yeah, fill out.
1: Todd, the the, the uh, Todd Martin, you know, you mm-hmm. can have a guy and, you know, later development, you know, if, if you weren't 16, if you by 16, if you weren't a top 50 player, you know, in the, in the eighties, then, you know, there was little or no hope for you. But, um, I think Danielle Collins run, um uh, you know, she's not the only one, but you know, it was, it was so, uh, fantastic and so impressive that I think it was a little bit of a watershed moment for women's tennis in particular. And if women's tennis can get to the point where it says, yeah, you know, college tennis is absolutely a viable, um, uh, option then I think that lifts men's college tennis um, as well because again there's this idea that uh, well yeah you know men's college tennis is and you know it's worn out by figures it is more of a pathway to the ATP so if women's college tennis is a pathway now to the WTA then you would have to think that men's college tennis is that much more and I think um, you know we you know you it's easy to just say, you know, you also had a finalist in, in Kevin Anderson, um, Mm -hmm. who, you know, was a very, very, he was a great college player, but he wasn't the best college player of all time. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that's a very fair thing for you to say. Um, I'm curious to know if the, the players coming out of the last couple of years of college tennis. So we have Mackie, um, We've got uh, Kwiatkowski, who is, you know, one of my one of my top stories, uh, mo- one of my most impressive players of the year. You've got a uh, Marcos. Um, I'm curious to know if we've got a uh, a Grand Slam quarterfinalist in either the group in the last two years or in the coming group in the next three years out of that group. So, Tennis Sandgren made it through college and he got into a quarterfinal. Obviously, Isner. Is there any guy in in the this sort of five year period now in college or just graduated that you see is potentially
0: in that in that crew? Of uh, final? Now you've now you've opened Pandora's box. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have Cam Norrie
1: obviously so, is a good player.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, w- uh, w- Cam Norrie, exceptional. You're looking at. Uh, you mentioned Anderson. You mentioned Isner. You've mentioned Johnson, uh, Mackie McDonald, obviously exceptional. I think they're going to be. You know, Noah Rubin did a year in college. Chris Eubanks did a year in college. I think both of those guys could at some point Eubanks spend did a few time. Years. Yeah, and, and so both of them, you know, Eubank's another of that 6'6", six, six, let me grow into my body, learn how to actually hit ground strokes and not just play my serve. And it's, you know, we've seen, the you know, for him to jump into the top 200 at 23 years old, obviously, that he did years in college. Impressive. All of the Virginia guys you've mentioned. I mean— Torpegard, in my opinion, was one of the best players. You know, starting his sophomore year for three years was probably week in, week out, the best player in college tennis for three straight years. And I think now that he's playing a full year of tournaments, he's, what, in the live rankings right now in the top 180 after his win, maybe the top 150. And so I think he's always been a guy, I think, what I saw from Petros uh, over these past two years—that that guy can just play tennis at any level. I think Will Blumberg, his serve, his forehand. Now he struggled a little bit uh, this past fall and early in the winter, but that's because he was coming back from wrist surgery. I think I think last summer, maybe two summers ago, we saw what he could do at the challenger level. Uh, I think the uh, and for the record, Torpegard Live rankings 170 right now yeah i, I there're just there's so many talented college players I, I I can't believe I forgot to mention J.J. Wolf who won a challenger while in you know during his college season this year Paul Jubb I believe just won an ATP match over or maybe his first challenger match over in London. unless he um, won a challenger. Russy won the Challenger, but one that I was at uh, in Cleveland, so that's another one as well. Yeah, I, I think there are a ton of talent. Sam Riffis just won, what, the 15K in Wichita. So yeah, there are a ton of guys who I think will hover. Similar to, I feel like there's a group, and just because he's a Michigan guy, I'll use his name, the Evan Kings, the Seku Bangoras, the, uh, not Tim Smith, not, not, T- Sandgren, I guess, jumped a little bit above them, but a lot of- the Marcos, yeah, the Marcos Girones. There was that group of players. I think the the current crop of college players a little bit more talented it wouldn't shock me to see more of them break the top 100 than their predecessors did okay at least on the men's side on the women's side i mean i'm i'm, I'm afraid from the american perspective in particular that as many talented american women are as there are in college There are so many other incredible talents who are not going to go to college because they've already won junior slams, gotten their pro contracts, that to me, those people could be, it's not even pushed out. We mentioned earlier, we could have 20 American women in the top 100, but it's going to be harder for them to shine, I suppose, because of how many other young, talented Americans there are.
1: But it's getting like, you know, the other thing about Collins is that it shows that you can start a pro career at age 22.
0: Exactly
1: and still make your way into the top 40 in theory, at least. You know, she's a special player who won, you know, consecutive singles NCAA titles. So, um, you know, asking people to sort of measure up to that. But, you know, she was anything but unbeatable in college. It's not like she was undefeated throughout her career. Um, so, yeah. Um, you, but you didn't answer my question. Do you see anybody of that group who you think could will be in a Grand Slam quarterfinal in the next, you know, seven six five?
0: Quarter fi- see, quarterfinals tough. But people, uh, I don't know. I, I it it really depends. If if Marcos Spagdatis and Cyprus tennis can take off, then I love Petros. I think Will Blumberg again. There's a reason he's been one of the most talented players in his generation. I guess from an American perspective. I mean, Sam Riffis has always also been so good. I think Nuno Borges, when he puts his mind to pro tennis, look out because that guy served the forehand, the amount of racket speed and uh, spin he can generate. uh, It's just phenomenal. Are we talking singles or doubles? Because those are two separate questions. Absolutely singles. (sighs) Uh, See, you're putting me in a tough spot here. But you, would just, uh, you wouldn't
1: have necessarily said tennis Sandgren coming out of college got to the a, would get to a quarterfinal of a major, and he did it. So, yeah.
0: uh, but I would have said Ryan Williams would for sure, yeah. and I would have been so wrong about yeah. that. So, I'll say yes. I think they're currently they ha- I mean, Paul Jubb is what like nineteen years old, yeah, twenty something, like crazy. Yeah, yeah I am going to say yes. One player from, who's graduated college since I've graduated, so twenty seventeen and onwards. Uh, Will make in it. Actually, I'm going to take yeah 2017 so I can get all my UVA guys and onwards. Will <laughs> make a quarterfinal at some point. I mean, oh. Colin Altamirano is a freaking beast. Three out of five sets. That guy's gonna. I would not want to physically have to match up with him.
1: I mean, Mackie got to uh, a fourth round, right? So yeah. Um, oh, there's perfect step away. Yeah. Um. So for women, I'm looking at the rankings now, and nobody honestly jumps out of me. So the end of the year ITA rankings for. D1 women were Katarina Jokic of Georgia, um, exceptional, very very strong player. I'm very curious to know if you know where she can reach uh, her next level. Um, Estela Perez Somarriba of Miami, Kate Fahy of Michigan.
0: Yeah, there's my bet right there. You, could, <laughs> you <course>. had me. <laughs> of
1: course, um, Ingrid Gamara of South Carolina and McKenna Jones of North Carolina. So. Um, Alexa
0: well, what about Francesca DiLorenzo? I mean, she was a couple of years ago, but she's outstanding in my opinion. I mean, there are a ton of talent. I mean, Jamie Loeb, really, really, really good if she can get her, uh, you know, string together a couple of results.
1: Yeah, a couple I'm of sure. those players might be um, definitely people who can play, uh, you know, in, in slam
0: In Jennifer Brady?
1: Uh, oh, absolutely. I think she has the talent to, to get to a slam quarterfinal. Um I'm looking at the current players and I'm not sure I'm seeing anybody. So, um, well, ha- I'd be really interested to look back in two years and to look at this list. You know, a Brian Miner who can, you know, catch fire and and do a run. She ended at end of the year at 53 in the ITA rankings. Um, you know, one player who I think is, uh, um, Super talented. Uh, you know we're gonna have to erase this because I, I don't remember who I was thinking of. Oh, Kelly, <laughs> Kelly Chen. Kelly, did you watch Kelly Chen's like Leap, run? First of all,
0: Westhoff, leave all of that in absolutely, <laughs> and yeah, I, she made the semis, right?
1: I think that's right. Yeah, that was yeah. such a fun run to uh, hmm. to follow.
0: And who who plays one on that team? Uh, Matisse? or I'm trying Mateus. to. Mateus, it Mateus. Yeah, that's yeah. Who. and she's what top 300, top 400 already. Good young player. Uh, so. Data
1: Hart is a really good young player too.
0: Yeah. So I I think College Tennis is, is in excellent shape. Um and that is I guess one of my storylines for 2019 thus far. As I'm very satisfied. Um but all right, we'll alternate. Your next storyline, Jonathan.
1: Um I'm going to say um the these uh the the players who have um jumped the American the young Americans in the rankings. Um and that's sort of a weird storyline, but one that perplexes me every day. And it just, I, I, I hate to admit this in a public forum, but it gives me a little bit of schadenfreude when an Alex Dimenauer uh, or uh, uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, you know, loses a match because it means that they're not going to extend their lead over the uh, American players by that much more than they already have. So um, I'm going to say that all of these players who uh, our crop of 90, 97 and 98ers were ahead of a few years ago, who have leapfrogged them in the rankings and their accomplishments and in their prospects and and most importantly, in the buzz that not most importantly, but also in the buzz that they receive from a worldwide audience.
0: And to, to specify, you mean the men's side, uh, yeah, not the not the women's side, right? I do mean the men's side, correct. Okay, so so a fun tweet from you that the ATP Challenger tour just sent out while we were recording this. One year ago today, Alex Dimenauer won his first challenger crown in Nottingham and Felix Ogier Alassine became the youngest to retain a title in Lyon. Then both of them were outside the top ninety. Now they're both inside the top thirty. So yes, you know, I I I agree with you, um, I I don't want to even say to a point. I I just agree with your sentiment that it's going to be it seems so hard for these American men to break through, particularly because it's not only the 96 through 98s who, that was always the group I focused on, but it's also you know, the 99s and Dimenauer and Shapovalov and uh, Kasmenovich who are working their way up. And it's even other guys you didn't expect, you know, the Hercatches and the Christian Garins who fell off for a little bit but now are working their way back in. You, You mentioned, obviously, all the Russians, Medvedev, Kachanov, Rublev—it's—it's um, it's hard. It's hard to find space to get your result because you know you—you're entered in a result and you're li- or entered into a tournament and you're likely to see at least three to four other young, hungry players of your caliber caliber if you're an American. And I didn't even mention, you know, more uh, traditional guys, guys we know a little bit longer, like the Borna Choriches, the Alex Zverevs, even, you know, they're they're, I guess, I think they're both 96 and 97 actually as well. So they're right up there uh, with that group. That being said, what has brought me a lot of comfort is that Fritz, Tiafo, they seem to have, despite you know fluctuations in rankings points, they seem to have steadied themselves in that top 50. And that Riley Opelka uh, has had the year that he's had that he'll have a full summer after having mono last year to accumulate points at the ATP level. I am very happy that it seems like at least for the next three years before maybe Tommy Paul, Michael Moe also break through, Jared Donaldson comes back from injury, whatever, we are going to have at least three cracks at it. Yeah,
1: um, but again, we're talking. Um, the question is: Are these guys going to be twenty to fifty ranked guys, or are these guys going to be ten to sixteen ranked guys? And right now, you've got um, a lot more. You've got a lot more players in the top twenty who aren't American than are. That's a dumb thing to say, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> uh, you've got a lot of guys who have just you know who you're not surprised when they reach the semifinal of, of a Miami or of the Australian open. And you don't think it's a fluke when they're, you know, get the three finals in their first full year on tour. Um, and you don't have, you know, um, Algier has more finals at his age, you know, and I know Auger is, you know, he's just, a, he's a, he's a special, special player. And, um, but he's already got more finals in his career, even though he hasn't won any titles, uh, than uh, Taylor Fritz or a, or a Tiafoe, who have been grinding for a few years now. So, um, yeah. I mean, look, Taylor Fritz showed some really good clay play, and um, his he's got um, his wits about him. He's got a solid team around him, it seems. I don't... Feel, I feel like he will continue to get better. I think Francis um, has had some winnable matches that he's let slide. So um, I do wonder if if uh, if he needs to work a little bit on the. Of course, he has to work a little bit on the mental side of the game. But <laughs> you know, if you don't have to work a little bit on the mental side of the game, then either you're dead or you're a Rafael Nadal. So um, <laughs> that's easy. That's that's I think that's one thing that he probably. Could would help him a lot, and then um, I don't know. Like, we're gonna have a lot of guys in the in the third in the 20 to 50 range over the next few years, and I'm very that'll be very nice. You'll get somebody always, you know, in a quarterfinal in a, in a 250 or maybe a five in there, but are you gonna get the guy who's like able to step it up and uh and say, yeah, this is my time, this is my my to to challenge for? Um, I mean. I don't think there's one person on the planet who thought that Francis Tiafoe was a le- legitimate title contender in Melbourne, even as he, you know, had some wonder- wondrous wins. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I, I, I don't have much to add on. I feel like we've hit everything on these men and uh, this generation. So, yeah. And so, with that being mind, though, if we missed anything, I'm sure we have already talked about it on our website, CrackedRackets.com, you know, our other podcast platforms, the mini break for your daily updates, Cracked Interviews if you want to hear from your favorite players, uh, the What the Deuce podcast for a little something different from Christian Harrison gang. Uh, we've got it all firing. You need those immediate updates. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Follow Follow at Joe Kelly underscore tennis on Twitter as well. I promise you will not be disappointed by what you see. Uh, I cannot end this podcast, and I'm sure I will have to say this multiple times over the future without a huge thank you to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who really, as always, have a of an editing job to do. And I want to give a special shout-out to Max Fliegner, who is finished with his MCAT. He will be making his grand return to the podcast soon, and it's been a while for our listeners, so we look forward to having someone... Who played college tennis on the pod? Because obviously he did it a lot better than I did. But with that being said, again, uh, to my wonderful co-host, uh, tennisfluencer, the you know he is he is my master, Jonathan Kelly. For our super producers, Max Flinkner and Daniel Westoff and from our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jonathan. So with that being said, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot! <laughs> you know you might have to be giving brad gilbert a lesson or two after a great shot like that i love it and we yeah we will see you all next week thanks everyone thanks jonathan